Welcome to the How to Publish Your Book podcast, where we're helping writers become authors. I'm Ashley Shannon, and I'm here with my co-host, Carrie McAvoy, and today we are introducing Claire Taylor. Claire Taylor is the founder of FFS Media, a company that helps writers become better at their craft. You can hear her on the Sell More Books Show podcast with her co-host, Brian Cohen, and she is the comedic wit behind the incredible Jessica Christ series, as well as many others and she's here to talk to us today about crafting characters that jump off the page so hi guys hi thanks for having me (laughs) yeah so thank you for joining us today i'm so excited i saw um that you were talking about um using like personality tests and stuff to craft characters on instagram and i immediately was like i don't have any time to take a class but i need to do that So um, let's get into a little bit about you. So Claire, um, give me a brief history or overview of how you got into writing. Uh, Well, I've been, I mean, I've been doing it just for fun for a really long time. Um, And then I, I wrote my first novel, which was a comedy. The first, well, the first one I finished, right? Because we have a bunch of unfinished ones first. Um, I finished the first one. in high school, it's not good. Um, so that's not like, a, that's not a brag. It's not like, oh yeah. And then I wrote the next great American novel. It was kind of crap, but um, I did finish it. And then I published that sort of like a vanity publishing in 2012, like years later. Um, and it was, yeah, it was like a semi self-publishing where I ended up paying money, right? So this was, I didn't okay. really know about KDP at the time. Um, and then in 2014, I had another satire that I published um, and that was Wimbledon, Kentucky, uh, which I still actually like. It was not bad, but I had gone through college at that point. (laughs) So that I got a degree in uh, creative writing. So that helped, um, which is good because it was expensive. So I would (laughs) hope that I would be better coming out. But um, I published that in 2014. And then a friend of mine who was in a, I was in like a writing critique group with, she was like, oh, there's this thing called um, the, gosh, what was it? What is it called? Self-publishing, um, summit, something like that. Uh, I think, yeah, at self-publishing summit, I think it was called in 2015. And that was put on by, uh, you know, Sean Platt and <clears throat> excuse me, Johnny Truant and, uh, Dave, 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 <laughs> um, David Wright. Yeah. Yes. And, um, so I went there and then that was like, that was where it, took off the indie part for me. I met so many people. That's where I met Brian Cohen. Um, I didn't meet him till the last day and it was at karaoke that everyone was doing. And since it was in Austin, I grabbed a bunch of people and were like, Hey, we're going to a bar. And so I, we took them to a, you know, country Western bar. And then after that, I was like, let's go get some donuts. And so I drove some people around. So it was really just me grabbing people who I was like, you're interesting. You're interesting. And sticking them in my car. Um, and that is how I network. <laughs> it's like a that little bit sounds, kidnapping. Yeah, I would say that sounds really awesome, but also kind of weird. But having been to mm-hmm. a summit, I'm like, yeah, we were all just kind of going to all these random places together. But yeah. I couldn't imagine you like coming up and being like, get in my car. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Doors were always left unlocked. They could leave at any stoplight, right? They could bail out. Um, so that was that was how I kind of got into it and started meeting people. And then in 2015, I quit my job in education and went full-time writing. Not because I was making that money, but because I sort of rage quit another job. And so I was like, well, I think I'm just going to do writing. And 
at the time my husband, I had been kind of like supporting my husband previously. And so we were like, well, let's switch. So I had a little bit of that, like help. Um, and we were both really comfortable living on, you know, beans and rice. So that was a big benefit. Um, and then I was doing a lot of editing cause I edited professionally for a while. And so I was just kind of like hustling and doing a bunch of writing related stuff, which really got my networking going and made me some great connections. Um, and then I just started publishing full-time and that was, that's my income mostly now. I mean, I do consulting too. That's really cool. Um, okay. So what in your order of things you've published, where did Jessica Christ fall? Cause that's what I kind of know you for mm -hmm. is that series. Yeah. So I had published three standalones, including the like crappy high school one before I was like, I should probably do a series. And I, I didn't actually intend for Jessica Christ to be a series. It was going to be like one book, which is insane. Yeah. Um, you know, even like the New Testament could technically be considered a series, right? It's got multiple yeah. books in it. So, <laughs> um, so I started writing that in 2015, not really knowing what it was going to be. And then once I started learning more about the way that things work in indie publishing and how you can make money, I thought, okay, I need to break this up into a series. So that was my first big series. Um, and I think I got three, maybe four books out in that one. And then, um, <laughs> got distracted and started another pen name and started writing as Brock Bloodworth with the Kilhaven Police series, um, which is a paranormal cop comedy series. And wrote some of those, went back to Jessica Christ, was like, oh yeah, two, two series is great. This feels really good. Um, and then at the end of 2017, someone was like, you wanna write paranormal cozy mystery with me? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> I started another pen name and I kind of put the other ones to the side to really crank out um, and do that sort of rapid release nonsense with the paranormal cozy mystery. And so now I have those three pen names um, and mm -hmm. I don't do much with paranormal cozy mystery cause I was like, that's fun. But like, I really want to be doing humor. That's what yeah. helps me. And so I'm selfishly going to do more humor. Yeah. Um, so the Jessica Christ was kind of the first big series I wrote. And then now I have a few others. That's very cool. It's um, <clears throat> one of my favorite kind of funny books and feel makes me feel growing up like in a very religious place that it's kind of like sacrilegious to like read it, but, <laughs> but it's awesome at the same time. Yeah, that's so, what makes it fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... What do you wish you would have known when you started your publishing journey that you know now? I, well, I wish I would have known a little bit more about the business side of things because I wasn't approaching it with the most um, sensible business approach. And even now I make some really bad business decisions, but I know that they're bad business decisions and I do them anyway, because something else matters to me more. Um, but starting out, I did not know they were bad business decisions. And, you know, so I guess that's really, I wish I had known that it was more of a business than I was treating it. Can you give an example of what you mean? Oh yeah. Like doing more market research. Um, but I guess then again, if I had done market research and relied too heavily on that, I probably would not have written Jessica Christ. <laughs> like, oh yeah, that hot female satire, religious feminist stuff. Yeah, that's selling like hotcakes right now. 
Um, but it worked out because, you know, it was, it was, there's not really a market for it, but I found a market for it mm -hmm. and it did really well for me for a while mm -hmm. because there wasn't a market, but right. it took a minute. I say, yeah, but that meant you had more work because you had to find your market. Yes. I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She also, I feel like kind of finds the wrong market with those books. If you read some of the reviews, I feel like it yeah. doesn't necessarily always fall on the, the right reader. Oh yeah. No, I love it when the absolute wrong readers find it and then <laughs> leave me one stars with Bible verses that are just completely out of context. And I'm like, cause I, I mean, the truth is, yeah, you hear Jessica Christ and it's, it's inflammatory for a lot mm -hmm. of people to even hear that, that um, you know, series title, but I have a ton of readers who are practicing Christians mm -hmm. and it, it's just, you know, it's the matter of like, do you understand what fiction is? Um, can you laugh at these things? Do you think that, you know, your higher power has an ego that's going to be offended, like a fragile ego, or can we talk about these things? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do love the one-star reviews. I've been getting people thinking it's YA because it's about eight, it starts out when she's young. And I'm yeah. like, I don't know how much adult content I have to put in this book for you to realize it's not YA. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. YA is in this like really blurry place it right is. now though, because yeah, like you go to like the Amazon YA charts, because that's what I write. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, reverse harem, shifter romance, whatever <laughs> is like in top five. And I'm like, you're not supposed to be here, but there yeah. is like this high end, like almost like a pushing the boundaries thing going on in YA right now. So I could see mm -hmm. how somebody yeah. might pick it up and be like, oh, pretty colors. Like this yeah. looks like it could be, yeah. be fun. <laughs> is it hard to write humor? Do you have to like think about it? Or is that just something that just naturally occurs part of your voice? I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's hard to write period. Um, I think it's just really hard and I've, you know, I've written 30 plus books at this point and it's still very hard, but the humor gives me enough energy to keep going. So that's for me, it's, um, the ideas of the funny stuff are like what I live for. So if mm -hmm. I, I mean, lately though, I will say it's been really hard to write comedy cause I'm not having any social interaction. And that's really where it happens. Like the magic happens. So, you know, my poor husband will come home tired and I'm like, Hey, I had these ideas. Tell me, you know, I'm going to workshop them with you. And he's like, okay, well, like, let me, you know, he's a police officer. He's like, let me get the blood off my shoes and then we can talk, you know? Um, and so it's, that has been hard, but I know enough at this point about writing comedy that I'm like, okay, writing, writing, writing. And then I'll put in brackets, like insert funny simile here. And I'm like, maybe later when I'm vaccinated and can go see people, like <laughs> then I can, I can think of some funny simile to put here and that'll be great. Um, so I'm really writing on future Claire having a better brain than me. But uh, in general, yeah, it's the brainstorming and the, the tropes of comedy are just so fun to me that that's where I get my energy. So it can be really hard to finish a book if there's no humor in it. Yeah, in fact, I was going to ask you, how do you even know if something's going to hit humorously? Just because it might be funny to you doesn't mean it's funny to anybody else. Yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just, somebody was just saying. She reads it to her husband. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's, he's 
a terrible judge because he laughs at everything I say. And I'm like, yeah, that wasn't funny. I don't trust him. That's not a good litmus test then. I know. No, I mean, it's great for the marriage, but not great. For yeah, them. true. Yeah. Um, so what obstacles have you encountered and how has it changed your writing career? Yeah, I was thinking hard about that. And um, I mean, there, there are a few. So like I went through burnout. I was talking about the cozy mystery, the paranormal cozy mystery and how I was doing rapid release. I hit burnout pretty hard around book seven or eight of that series because I was trying to do a book mm -hmm. a month. Um, and then I was like, once I realized I was trying to do a book a month and I was only succeeding at a book every two months, I was like, I think this might be a problem. I think maybe I'm not up to scratch on this. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, it turned out to be really good because it was such a wake up call for me. Um, so I had to kind of step back and go, okay, so the rapid release thing doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Um, you know, obviously the first question was like, well, what's wrong with me? <laughs> um, and then once I was like, okay, Claire, like dial it back in, you're fine. Uh, it was, how do I, how do I create a career that doesn't burn me out? That makes me good money. And that's like genuinely fills me up as it's emptying me out, you know? So it kind of yeah. stays, right. Cause there's a lot, there's a lot of energy expended, but if you can get it back through the process so that it, it really made me focus on that. And it also helped me realize how many other people were in the same boat in this industry. Mm -hmm. I mean, we like, we've kind of been hitting this critical mass of people who have been looking for, you know, the next hot sub, sub, sub genre and jumping around and doing and not really getting much traction or just on the hamster wheel. And so I was like, there has to be a better way. Cause there are a lot of people who were trying these things being told, well, if you just do X, Y, and Z, you'll make six figures a month, you know, or something silly. Yeah. And so then when they weren't making that happen, they were going, well, what's wrong with me? Um, and why can't I do this? I must not be willing to, you know, put in the time and effort. I must be lazy. I must be all these terrible things. And it's like, no, you just don't care enough to, you know, like this is, yeah. this just isn't what fills you up. This isn't the model that is built for you. And so that's actually when I started, um, you know, I talk with, a, I have like a small group of female author friends that we chat with, I chat with regularly. And we talk a lot about the Enneagram. And so that's when I started going, how do we use this Enneagram to help build author strategies that really fills the actual need, right? Because money is not the need. <laughs> money right. is a substitute for the need. Um, and so the people who, some people can last longer on the money and others can't, and that's not a defect. So that, I think that the burnout really helped get me started in that frame of reference. Um, and then I also, and this is so random, um, probably like a year and a half ago, uh, maybe it was it 2019, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> You'll understand why I can't remember in a second. I got a really bad concussion. And oh. uh, <laughs> so it was, it was, it was just this ridiculousness where I got food poisoning and then a one, you know, midnight sprint Well, it was like 4am. I was sprinting to the bathroom and actually passed out and ran smack into the door and then fell back. It was this whole like big thing. And I'm sitting there cursing oh, and no. I knocked myself out and my husband's like what is happening <laughs> I ended up in the ER is this whole like it was it was slapstick really um no need to feel sorry it was it was quite funny um but it did make my brain not work for about two weeks um I just couldn't 
And so that got me thinking, you know, it was really, it was frustrating um, for me because I love the the writing beats and all the story element stuff is just what I love. And I, to not be able to do that, it got me thinking, okay, well, how do I build a business that is flexible if, mm-hmm. if my brain no works so good, which is a really good thing for me to have learned pre-pandemic mm-hmm. um, because my brain no works so good a year in. And <laughs> I'm like, all right, let's, you know, really get to the essence of what I'm trying to do here and what draws me to this work and why I love it. So that if something does happen, I can make a quick shift and still love what I do. So I think that, that those obstacles were actually really useful. I love how you, you stay observing and nimble. You know, you're always like, okay, like assessing what's working, what's not working, what I need to do different. What do I, I love how you're, how you do that. Do do you think that's really important in this career as a writer that we have to always kind of stay a little half a step above ourselves, watching the map, so to speak? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, Because this is, you know, if, if you are, especially if you're indie, right? If you're traditional, it's a little bit different. Things move a little slower, but with indie publishing, the whole model of it has changed so many times since it started that um, you have to find something to anchor yourself to. Mm. So that when the external world, you know, and the landscape of publishing completely changes, you can start back at square one and go, okay, how do I build it in this, you know, from the ground up in this new environment? Mm -hmm. And, um, but I think part of it is I've hit that wall so many times of like, oh no, everything's ruined. This one little thing changed. Now I'm going to be, you know, Mm -hmm. never going to make any money again. Those freak outs. I've had them enough times that I'm like, oh, that's another one of these. All right. You know? So it's like, yeah, I, I love Amazon ads, for example, but if Amazon ads just went away, I'd figure it out, you know, because I know that I can. So I think it's, it's a matter of resilience and this industry makes it really easy to earn it because it hits you in the face multiple times a year. (laughs) Well, it it sounds like it really helps for has forced you to gain confidence in yourself. I mean, you know who you are, you know what you're capable of and you know, you'll pivot. You pivoted before you can do it again. I think that's something that like, we all have to learn though. Cause it's like, I published a long time ago and then kind of got distracted with kids and all of those life things and so it's now it's it's I'm coming back into self-publishing and it's like being a newbie all over again that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons we started this podcast because things have changed so much even from when like uh we met in like 2017 I think it's when I went to the summit so even in that you know three years four years like it's changed several times over and so I really feel like you know if you aren't pivoting and keeping on top of it then it's like being you know, starting over all over again, every single time they make all these different changes. So mm-hmm. it's pretty cool to see how more established writers like yourself are, are, you know, riding the waves and continuing to find, you know, the top. So that's very cool. Yeah. yeah and it's it, another, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, it makes me, how, how do you keep your finger on the pulse of what is changing? What, what helps you? Um, well, I will say I'm much more in the loop since I started hosting the Selmore Book Show each week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the really great things about hosting the Selmore Book Show each week, so for those who haven't listened to it, it's we cover tips and tricks and weekly news. Um, and so 
you get so much information. I mean, we, we, we cover so much each week that for me, I'm like, wow, I, you know, you really don't have to care about most of this. So a lot of it is I've seen so much come through and so many, like, you know, there, there are these industry freakouts, right? Someone's heard something that some, you know, distributors going to do. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. So we've had a lot of these, you know, apocalyptic threats and they just don't usually happen. Um, or they happen and there's something else that takes its place. Cause we do have a nice capitalistic environment where if one of them really screws the pooch, another one will take its place, you know? So yeah. you're like, all right, we, we'll be fine. It may, we may have a dip in sales temporarily and we're going to have to find our feet and go back. So I think the show has helped me kind of stay abreast, but also um, I think the most important thing for indies when it comes to networking is to limit your network, um, to not try to get all the information, but to find a few people who have experience and success behind them and get to know those people and talk to those people. So a lot of what I hear is from, um, yes, the Summer Book Show, but from people who are kind of doing the same thing and have the same priorities as me in this industry um, through masterminds or just group chats and stuff like that. That's interesting. I, I, I love the fact that you say limit because my first thought was what you were gonna say is keep it, keep your fingers on lots of pulses. And you're like, no, 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 no. Because it's overwhelming, honestly, that's just, it, it quickly it back to a, another force of burnout if you're not careful. Yeah, the information overload. I mean, I know that I have told authors I'm working with like, okay, at this point, you know enough, you mm -hmm. need to stop. You need to stop learning mm -hmm. and start doing um, because it just does get so much. Um, and, you know, big Facebook groups can be really useful, but if you've ever posted in one with more than you know, maybe a few hundred authors, you get so much information that it's completely useless because everyone's contradicting each other. And you're like, okay, am I going to nope. look up the, you know, the, the credits of each of these people to see who actually knows what they're talking about and who is, you know, just making it up to sound smart. Uh, so yeah, I think that's, you know, it seems like, oh yeah, I want to pull the audience here. And it's like, no, you don't. You absolutely, this is not a democracy. Figure out what your business needs to do and then make the decision. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Interesting. That, that's very helpful. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm so about ready to go take myself out of a bunch of Facebook <laughs> yeah, groups right now. Oh, like <laughs> reevaluate what am I doing and where with whom exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, why, why don't you introduce what Enneagrams is for those of us who don't know? I mean, I, I, I actually got to hear a little bit about it, but I know there's a lot of people, this is even a new word. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> this is so fun for me. Okay. So the Enneagram, Ennea being nine and Gram being like a shape, <laughs> basically it's nine types personality um, profile. And the reason that I like it so much is because it's not looking at behaviors so much because it, it's not descriptive of behaviors like uh, Myers-Briggs or DISC or, you know, the five, whatever, whatever. Um, it is, so it's, because I don't think that that's super useful. And I think that some of those can be really hard to manage. Um, what's useful about the Enneagram is that it looks at core motivation. 
for the nine types. There's nine core motivations that people are functioning on. And that's stuff like, um, so within the motivation, there's a fear and a desire, and they're kind of the same side, you know, two sides of the same coin, um, the fear and the desire for each type. So some motivations might be to be good, to be uh, loved, to be successful or, or um, worthy, to be uh, authentic. So, I, I mean, these are some of them, you know, to be w out of other people's control, to be autonomous, that could be a core motivation. That's one of the core motivations. So it's really getting to that ground driving force. Um, and so that's why I think it's so useful for fiction as well as building your business. But um, with fiction, it's a really easy, I don't even want to say hack because there aren't really writing hacks, right? Um, you just have to learn how to do it and practice, but it's a, it's a, a quick way to cut to the heart of your protagonist and figure out, okay, what do they really want? Because a lot of the times what we end up doing is we think of all these like external behaviors and quirks of our um, protagonists. And then we, and the, you know, and these may be things that are very different from us, but then we just project our own core motivation onto them. And it starts to not feel right. Um, so I think becoming aware of our own core motivations and then aware of what our protagonists are, um, you know, may or may not be the same. And so that's kind of where you start. And then you can see in this environment, how does this core motivation play out? And you can figure out what the best environment is for that, you know, to trigger that core motivation um, and to trigger those fears. So uh, for instance, if you are a type six, uh, that is called the loyalist and their, their core motivations are all about desire, uh, security. Their, their core desire is to feel secure and supported and their core fear is to feel unsupported or physically unsafe. So where do you, how do you trigger a type like that? Well, you may have your story start with a betrayal. Mm -hmm. um, that's, a, that's going to trigger a type six more than it is for other types even. I mean, the thing about this is we all want to be loved and to be worthy and to be good, and, but there's one that's gonna win out because how many times in our life do we encounter something where we have to choose between these, right? Am I gonna do the thing that brings me the most freedom or am I gonna do the thing that uh, I believe is the absolute right thing to do? You know, and so it's like, oh, okay, that's, that's the heart of conflict in a story. Yeah. And so it, it really becomes useful. And then one, you know, depending on the type, someone's going to keep picking one, like, okay, well, I'm a type seven. So I'm going to pick the one that gives me the most freedom um, and avoids pain. That's what the type seven, the enthusiast does. So that's how I like to build it. And so I, I design my own characters like that now. Um, and it really helps me pick out the themes and kind of inciting incidents and helps me build a nice, satisfying ending. That's fascinating. Right now I'm editing my manuscript my, of a memoir. And when people read it, they're very upset. They get very upset with why the protagonist, me, made the decisions that I did. But my reasons, my drives are a lot different than what other people think. So I've been trying to explain. In fact, I was just in a section saying, I would choose uh, dignity over autonomy. I was just like talking about this painful choice and what I was willing to sacrifice in order to save something else. That's fascinating. I didn't think of it in terms of Enneagrams. I don't know them super well. I'm sort of aware of them, but um, 
But that's so do you go into it sculpting and say, okay, I'm going to have this person be a type four? Or do you sort of like see what happens as they evolve? Yeah, there, I mean, you can go however you want with your process. So that's what I like about it. Cause sometimes you'll start writing a character. And if you're like, I don't really know what this person is or like, I, I just can't get a handle on this character. I think we all have those times where you're writing it. Maybe it's an antagonist or a protagonist or a secondary character. You're like, yeah, I just, I don't even know why this character's in here. Uh, you know, like, I don't know what they would do next. What, what are they? Um, a lot of the times what's happening is you are mixing your own core motivation with a different core motivation. And so at that point, you know, if you run into that, that's a good point to go, okay, well, let me figure out what, what type they actually are um, and come up with some scenarios. You can read about the types, um, you know, online, there are some really great books uh, that are resources too. And once you get that pinned down, it's like, okay, well, I'll go back and like massage some of the earlier parts of this story to make sure that it's coherent with this. So you can do it at any, at any point. Um, I like to do it beforehand and the way it's kind of like a all at once sort of process for me. It's very messy at the beginning. Like, okay, well, what is, what are the things that appeal to me? What is the spark of this book um, or this series? And then I'm like, oh yeah, that's funny. That's funny. And I start, you know, maybe I'll build the environment first. Uh, so, you know, so like with this space comedy I'm writing, I built the environment first. I was like, this is really a funny premise and I could write on this. And then I thought, okay, well with this premise, what are some, some words that start to emerge for me? Um, and it was stuff like connection and vulnerability. And I was like, okay, well, what, what type is going to have the hardest time with those things? Mm because you want to create as much conflict as possible. Yeah. It's the easiest mm. thing you can do for yourself. Um, so if I were to pick a type two, the helper, that wouldn't, they don't have a problem with connection uh, and vulnerability so much as I ended up picking a type seven, the enthusiast, because they're, they don't want to be trapped in pain. And I actually gave her, there's these things called wings. So you can take your type and on either side of your type. So if you're a seven, you would have a six wing and an eight wing mm -hmm. and people lean toward one or the other generally, or neither or both or different situations, you know, with your family of origin, you can lean more toward one versus at work, you can lean more toward another. Um, so that's often how it's identified in Enneagram speak, you know, I'm a one wing too. And mm -hmm. so my character for this series um, that I'm working on right now is a seven wing eight because the eights want autonomy. They don't like people having power over them. And the sevens want um, freedom, like, you know, just to be able to move around, but it's really freedom from pain, like emotional pain. So I thought that would be a great person to make the captain of this ship because the whole thing is she's, she's matchmaking different planets basically. And so it's all, it's a lot of dirty jokes um, about, you know, <laughs> uh, physical intimacy, let's say. Um, <laughs> an alien genitalia and it, it makes me very happy, but I thought, okay, who's going to have a lot of conflict with that? Well, someone she's working on like romance and very biological sort of mechanical stuff, but she can't really connect with people. So I thought that was a good combination for that. And that's how I picked that specific one out. So that's kind of my process. Awesome. That's really interesting. So can you run them down what they are from one to nine? Like what, the, what yeah. their core issue is? <laughs> Yes, thank you for this opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the perfect question? I didn't know, but 
Oh, I yeah. was all like, you're putting her on the spot. And she's like, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, I love it. So um, number the type one is called the reformer and they all have descriptive names to kind of help you learn a little more about them. Um, type one is the reformer, sometimes called the perfectionist, but I don't like that. And I'm a type one, so I get to decide. Um, so we're the reformers. <laughs> and uh, so our whole thing is about being good and about being above reproach. So our, our desire is to be good and above reproach. Our fear is to be bad or corrupt. Um, the type two is the helper. Their desire is to be um, loved and their fear is to be unloved. But what the helper looks like, it tends to be um, love through being needed. So they offer a lot of help, sometimes um, help that's not asked for, and they expect it reciprocated. So they can sometimes, it can sometimes look like forced reciprocation, and that's kind of like an unhealthy level of that type. But twos, twos would be like Samwise Gamgee in Lord of the Rings. That's an example of a character who's a really nice type too, or Molly Weasley in Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. um, then we have, um, and for type one, that would be like Atticus Finch is a type one. Um, Hermione Granger is a type one. Type three is the achiever and theirs is all about worth and they tend to try and get that through achievement. Um, so they're the ones who need to, you know, have all the degrees, have, you know, New York Times bestseller across their book cover. Um, and you would have someone like uh, Don Draper or he's definitely a type three from Mad Men or um, Cersei Lannister. I, I would argue as a type three from Game of Thrones because it's just about, you know, achievement and getting that sort of yeah. like worth, right? She needs her worth through that. Even her children, the way she kind of like, who she married mm -hmm. them up to often, yeah. you know, with yes. all about this rock, proper look. Yes, exactly. Yes, very social focused. Mm -hmm. um, but also Oprah's a type three, so they can be very influential. And then uh, type four is the individualist. And the individualists care about being authentic and really true to themselves. So their desire is to be authentic and their fear is basically to be inauthentic um, or unoriginal. So you get a lot of the fours like um, Jay Gadsby is a four, right? Really like trying to live in the past and like relive this sort of nostalgia and make things this big grand thing, but they kind of tend to live in fantasy. Very artistic types tend to be, you know, um, not necessarily creative, but like the artiste right? We've all dated that guy. Um, <laughs> so that, that's kind of the, the type four. Um, uh, so they, they just are real big into um, sort of like fantasy almost, right? They're really in their heads and thinking about that because they want to be authentic and they're trying to find their own identity. Um, but they are also very emotionally, they tend to hitch their identity to their current emotion, which makes their identity volatile, right? Because we, we have all kinds mm -hmm. of emotions. So that's kind of the struggle of the four. Um, the type five is the investigator and that would be like Sherlock Holmes. So their, uh, their core desire is to be self-sufficient and sort of self-contained. And their core fear is basically to be dependent on anyone um, for anything or, or to not know, not have enough information to conduct themselves independently. So yeah. Sherlock Holmes is a pretty typical type five, very, they tend to be very fact-based. They um, sometimes come off as a little cold, but they're just not, um, they're different triads. They're not in the emotional triad. They're in the head triad. They're very much in their head. And um, they're worried about 
their energy. So energy conservation is a big thing for fives. So they don't want to commit to things where someone else can take a lot of their energy. So they tend to kind of build a little bit of an emotional fortress so that they can focus their attention on subjects that really interest them. So then you have the type six, which is the loyalist. And um, the loyalist we talked a little bit about, it's about security. So they want to be um, secure and supported and they're afraid of being, you know, in danger and uh, unsupported. And so you would have um, Ned Stark in Game of Thrones as a type six, very, they're very loyal. They, the courage is there. Um, they really thrive on taking a group and getting, you know, getting the group to work together. And they're very, I mean, as the name says, very loyal. Um, and then you have the type seven, the enthusiast who they tend to be the life of the party. Fred and George Weasley would be an example of a type seven. <laughs> Um, or uh, Eleanor Shellstrop from The Good Place is a type mm -hmm. seven, right? So it's just, they, they have lots of stories because they are all over the place because they don't want to be trapped in pain. Um, they're not all extroverts, but they don't want to be trapped in pain. So they tend to make a bunch of different plans. And then on the day of, they will pick one and then cancel on the others, right? Because they want to know that day what they want to do. Mm -hmm. um, they're afraid of being committed to things that, that, that don't feel good. They always have a joke ready for, you know, a conversation if it gets a little heated or intense. So they're very much a life of the party kind of people. And then you have the uh, type eight, the challenger. Challengers are all about uh, power and control. So they don't want someone to control them because they're afraid someone's going to not only control them, but harm them um, through that control. And they want to feel like they are completely autonomous. So they can, um, they can come off a bit harsh <laughs> because they don't have time for any, for tiptoeing around and like even someone, you know, even just social norms can feel like control to them. So they aren't gonna do, you know, polite small talk if they don't feel like it because that feels like someone trying to control them and tell them what to do. Um, but they're also really great leaders. So they're kind of the, you know, Katniss Everdeen is a type eight. She's like, go and get it. You know, we're gonna fight the power. Um, I'm gonna fight it for other people. You know, they can kind of be defenders or champions. And then type nine is the peacemaker. And that is, um, they, they want to, they're afraid of not, of being disconnected or separate somehow. And they want to feel whole. So a lot of the times they have a tendency to merge with other people because they want to create that wholeness in themselves. So Harry Potter is a type nine. Um, they are very conflict avoidant. So if you're writing a type nine, you have to put extra squeeze on them, um, especially they, they've got the refusal of the call down. <laughs> They're like, yeah. nah, I think I'd rather hang out here. <laughs> so you got to like really put some force on them to propel them forward if you're writing a type nine. Because they'd, they'd rather just like, can't we all get along? So they're very great with um, social groups because they can make everyone feel really heard because they just mirror really well. So that's the nine types and some examples. That's fascinating. Yeah. Thank you. That's really interesting. So how, how would you recommend somebody get better at knowing them, be, even begin? Because I went out and bought a couple books and I just found that like I slogged and it was really hard. And it wasn't as easy as I thought. They were too, too theoretical. Um, mm -hmm. So Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say that um, the Enneagram Institute.com is a really great resource and they have 
write-ups on each type that are a little bit, they're very well, you know, categorized. So you can look mm -hmm. at, you can find what you need from each type. And it's just a matter of applying it over and over and over again. I like to try and type characters while I'm watching TV or movies or in books and that sort of thing. And just that sort of the question process you ask of like, oh, well, what was a really definitive decision they had to make? Okay, well, what do I think was motivating it? Because the secret is that you don't know what's motivating other people. So it's really hard to type others, um, mm -hmm. you know, unless you can observe their behavior over a long period of time and have had some real heart to hearts with them, yeah. then you can start to, you know, be able to guess, okay, I think you might be, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but it, it is a tool for self-discovery. So it's best to let people figure it out themselves and kind of be like, you should, have you heard about the Enneagram? You should check this out. <laughs> That's what I was doing. Awareness. <laughs> That's what I was doing while you were reading them off. And I was like, you got to like seven. And I was like, none of these sound like me. And I was like, oh, eight. Okay. Like eight, a wing nine. I was like, I've been, yeah, that's, that's probably me. Yeah. Well, I will say, and I probably don't have to tell you this if you're an eight, it's hard to be a female eight because we're expected, you know, as women, um, society generally expects us to play nice, and, yeah. um, fit into those social, you know, those social norms and make people feel good. Our job is to make people feel good. Um, you know, if they're feeling bad, we got to fix that. We got to make them feel good. It's okay if it makes us feel bad right. uh, while we're making them feel good. So, and eights don't play by that role. So <laughs> they get a lot of pushback. Um, but yeah, so I think just <laughs> typing a bunch um, in your head. <laughs> Yeah. You know, if it's with friends, you don't want to be like, yeah, don't say that out loud. It doesn't go over very well. Bad three, you know, you don't yeah. want to do that to them. Um, and so, then when you're oh, building characters, you can do that because you're making up the motivation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how would you go back? I'm just thinking, so my, uh, book that's been rewritten a hundred times um my zombie book um just got back from another round of edits it's actually a serial so it's you know they're short like twenty thousand word books and one of the edits i got was one of your characters just one it's a multiple pov there's like five one of them is really really strong and the rest are like yeah so I'm kind of thinking that this would actually really help you know make my characters stronger and also like you know, it's survivalist. So you think about Walking Dead, like all of those characters are different and they kind of work together, but also like their core motivations obviously cause them to butt heads. So it would be really cool to figure out what all, each of these characters are, but like, how do you go back and do that? Like they're already kind of, is there a way that I could like take a test for them or like? Yeah. I mean, I would say when I'm trying to figure it out, like when I've you know, it's some character that I just haven't thought about it, right? Because there's so much to think about. Sometimes you get halfway through the book and you're like, oh, I hadn't even considered this one yeah. very important <laughs> thing, right? Maybe I should stop and think about that. Um, when I find that to be the case for me, I will start to go, okay, I'll either start at my protagonist and work from there. So I will say, okay, my protagonist is, you know, a type six. So what, you know, if I don't have a clue what this other character is, I'll think, what what character or what you know type in this situation with this person would create either the most conflict or is the kind of person they need around to guide them in the right direction um like what characteristic you know what what motivation do they need to help balance them and so you know if it's a type six i might say okay i need someone to 
um, sort of be a mentor figure or show them mm -hmm. a different way that maybe is healthier. I would probably pick a type nine because in growth, sixes start to look like nines. Um, and there's this whole growth path thing with the Enneagram, <laughs> yes, yes, which yes, I yes. haven't gotten into and I will not because it's, a, it's opening up a can of worms. But if anyone wants uh, to yeah, look it up. That just starts to boggle, yes. <laughs> yeah, so there are growth paths where a character, you know, a person will start to resemble a different type when they get a little bit healthier in their mm -hmm. self, in a little bit, um, you know, basically the ego dissolves a little bit and they become more self-aware. And then there are stress paths. So when someone's under stress, they will start to look like another type. Um, and so you can also pick a character that's that stress number and throw them in. So yeah. if yeah. it was a six, I would pick a three and that will be, uh, that would be the achiever. So the loyalist is going to be a little bit agitated by an achiever, especially if they're an unhealthy achiever, because it's going to remind them of this thing that they are trying not to be. Um, but you could also throw in, you know, any type is going to have its own kind of conflict because of mm -hmm. those conflicting motivations. So it really depends on the type uh, or, or the, not that it's just the type of your protagonist, but the, the situation they're in sure. and what is needed and what is easiest in that situation. Right. And then sometimes I'll just look at, you know, if I, if I do kind of have a few types that I think a character might be, I will start to um, look at the major decision points for that character and be like, well, what did they pick? Why do I think they did that? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's then I'll kind of find like whichever one fits the best and generally one does not fit entirely when I'm okay. having to you know go midpoint but I'll find one that kind of fits the best and then I'll go back and massage other things to make it work this is fascinating it is it's very fascinating yeah. I'm just sitting here like I have to read so much about this like I'm just like yeah. <laughs> I mean I, I looked into it a little bit obviously before we had you on but then thinking about um yeah, I think character is kind of where I struggle, you know, zombie books and, um, you know, I've written some kind of like YA, like sci-fi things. Um, uh, it's more plot driven. And so I kind of feel like my characters have been lacking a little bit in kind of like their, I don't know, humanity and not humanity. That sounds terrible, but just their depth. <laughs> They've done some terrible things. Yeah, they're awful, but oh no. And um, I think that's just because like, I don't, my brain doesn't necessarily work through all of those things. I don't get to get into deep things because I'm busy all the time and things like that. So I feel like I've just kind of done a disservice to my characters. Well, I don't think you should feel like it's just you because we start, I mean, that's the plot is what happens. We are, yeah. we are evolved to care more about things that are happening. You know, uh, what is happening? How do I manage this? You know, that is our first way to interact with the world. And I like the Enneagram because it's immediately, you can get, you, you, it doesn't, you don't waste time, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, what's the motivation? Oh, I got that. Okay. I'm just going to make it that. And then we're going to build up from there. And so it makes it a lot easier to go deep because there it's not the natural thing to go that deep. Yeah. So it's, it's not cool. like, you know, you're, you're by no means alone. I've written, I, you know, I, I wrote plenty of books that were just surface level, like, okay, this happens and that's, and that can be great. That can be enough. Um, for me, it's like, I want, I want a long career. I want my books to be, you know, to last for a while. And I don't want to have to write so many. And I want like rabid fans. So yeah. I want to, so that is more important to me to spend that time going deep but it's not important to everyone and it shouldn't be if you, you know, if that's not your thing. That's interesting that you're saying that, that you, you feel 
a rich character development actually facilitates um, loyalty to you, that it, it in, increases a person's connection to you as a writer. I, that's, wow, you say more about that? What, how did you come to that conclusion? Well, I think that it helps people recognize themselves in one of your characters. It doesn't have to be your main character. Um, but, you know, a lot of the times the secondary characters are why people stick around. If there, there's that one, especially in comedy, you can have these great, like, you know, um, comedy characters that you just throw in and they're so, such absurdities of a specific type of person that people may see themselves in that and be able to laugh at themselves. So you're giving people more to play with, to relate to. Mm -hmm. And then they start to trust that like, they're going to see themselves in some way in your books. And these memorable characters, um, I mean, one of my favorite things to do is to make jokes about very like run of the mill things. And they don't even have to be funny jokes, but the next time that person, my reader sees that thing, they're gonna think of my books. And mm -hmm. that's gonna start forging like a deeper connection. So mm -hmm. it's the same kind of thing. It's like, you know, those emotions you're really getting, you're, you're um, letting them just fall straight into a, a specific character. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's I great. think that's, yeah, I think that's really smart. And just looking back, like we, a couple episodes ago, we were talking about um, the Da Vinci Code and how it was a good book, but it was plot driven. I can't even tell you the main character's name. Like there was no, and I wouldn't read another one. <laughs> like, you know, it was, it was good at the time, but like, you know, you were talking about like a character that you see yourself in and like my favorite book for forever, even though I'm not a romance re reader is Gone with the Wind. And it's because like, there was a time where we were very poor and I just, she at one point is like, I'm never going to be poor again. And at one point I hit that point in my life too. And so that has always resonated with me and I see myself in that. So yeah, it would, it makes total sense that you would build a readership and connection with your readers and a relationship with them. If they can see themselves in, you know, something that you're writing, that's really cool. Well, and I think that's what JK Rowling did so well in Harry Potter mm -hmm is that she gave a type, she gave a character of every type. So there may not have been a whole lot of diversity of race or background mm -hmm. or you know gender, but there was a diversity of motivations. And so everyone could see themselves in one of the characters. Um, I mean, as a type one, you know, when I was reading Hermione Granger and going, that's me, <laughs> she is absolutely impeded by her moral sense of right and wrong. Like if she didn't care so much about doing the right thing, she could get so much farther, you know, and to be able to see that and, and understand that frustration, you know, it's like, she's, she's uh, sidetracked with what, a, what is the, the elf liberation? Mm -hmm. um, spew. Spew, yeah. yeah. She's, she's sidetracked <laughs> with spew for like two books. You yeah. Know? And you're like, just give it up, but she can't give it up because she's decided it's the right thing to do. And that was just so relatable to me that I was like, oh, a character that's like me, you know, I can relate to this. So um, that's I crazy. think that was, yeah, a big part of my connection with it. I've never even thought about it in that context. And I've heard people say that, you know, they were drawn to this character, that character. And I was like, well, Harry's the main point, but then you're saying that Harry's a nine and I'm over here thinking that I'm an eight that leans towards nine. And I was like, well, then it all makes sense. Now Claire's a genius. Claire is a genius. Like I'm saying it right here. <laughs> like I've learned more about myself with this podcast than I have in 30 years. <laughs> 
Oh yeah. I mean, my husband's a nine too. So he hears all about this. <laughs> I'm like, oh uh, yeah, you're doing that thing that Harry Potter did in book six. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, I try, I try not to do that, but you know, and it's really, it's this wealth of information and I just hadn't seen it applied to fiction as you know, mm -hmm. people weren't really doing that. And I was like, well, but it's, it's about, it's about humans and story mm -hmm. is about humans. Like these are things that can overlap. So I, I am a complete fanatic about it. Yeah. And it's about humans with conflict. I mean, because it's about the core insecurity, which is, mm -hmm. that's what the whole book is. It's all about the, the resolution or a poor resolution of conflict. So that just perfect fit. I can see how you can see that. Well, and but, it makes it so much easier to keep your th characters sympathetic yes, too, yeah. because if you are clear of why they're doing the wrong thing, your readers will understand it as well. So you, especially in romance, I don't know, you know, I read a lot of romance as well. And sometimes the heroes, you just are like, oh, this isn't like normal. This is abusive behavior. You know, like you don't get, why, why would you want her to get together with him at the end? You know, it's just like, it's, it's manipulative or whatever. Um, and so they become very unsympathetic in my opinion. But when you start to really develop, and I love working with romance authors um, on this sort of thing is you get to figure out what is that core fear that is driving it and you can really develop that so people will resonate with it you know if he's afraid of being um you know if he if he is a type three the achiever he might come off as very showy or very status driven but if you so if you know that his core desire is to feel worthy you can really play with that and you can say, okay, at what point in his childhood did he feel really get the message that he's only as worthy of love as his accomplishments. And now you get some backstory that's going to make him sympathetic. So it's, it's just really useful for that when you are creating conflict. Cause I, I know a lot of authors don't want to create conflict because they don't want, they like their characters too much and they don't want anyone to be wrong, but we're all wrong <laughs> all the time. Right? Yeah. Right. It's just about the right sympathetic way to be wrong. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I'm just sitting here going, Donovan went through my manuscript and was like, why is this person doing this? Like that was over and over. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Zombies are coming, whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> so now I get to go back and do this to six characters and actually figure it all out. So yeah. that's very cool. So Claire, tell me, a little bit about FFS Media and what you guys are kind of working on. So FFS Media, it's, I publish through it, just it's my LLC, but it's also where I do my author services. So um, once I became kind of obsessed with this and started really building it into all my conversations with author friends where they were like, I'm really stuck. I'm like, let's jump on the phone. We'll talk and we'll work through it. Um, then I was like, okay, I should, I should make this like more readily available for people who didn't happen to meet me at a conference. Um, so I started create, I created the story alignment, which is a one-on-one -on -one call. And so that's one service I offer, but then I was like, well, I need to be able to do this more. So I created a couple courses and these are all, um, I have supercharger story and supercharger series, and they're both based around core motivation. So, um, you know, the supercharger series is much more about it. So that's a bigger course. And it's about really planning out a series, series arc, series theme, and then how to then sort of zoom in and do it by book and balance all of that. Right. Cause I can get a little crazy when you're like, yeah. well, they need to learn a lesson, but they've already learned 
the lesson three times. I'm on book four. What do they learn now? You know, and how do I make that work with the series? Um, so that is what that course supercharger story is just seven supercharging tips. So I talk about, you know, motivation based, how to use motivation for it. Um, core motivation, obviously. And then um, talk a little bit about dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin and how to, how to incorporate those hits into your work so that your readers um, sort of become chemically dependent on your books. And <laughs> just, you know, it's a win-win. Yeah. Uh, and so that's just like a quicker one. And then I have, and then I started doing my, you know, with Enneagram, I was seeing how useful it was for author careers. So I put mm -hmm. together a free course. It's like a five-day indie author alignment that basically says, okay, let's talk about your type and what you want money to do for you, what you want this writing to do for you. Like what core motivation, what need is really needs to be filled and how do we do that in a, a productive way that makes you feel good rather than makes you feel crazy. Yeah. Um, and so then we kind of build down from author career or like author creative values to persona, building a persona that matches and attracts the right people for your type. And then um, themes that you're really going to resonate with in your series and then protagonists. And so that's kind of the alignment thing. So I just have that free course and then I have YouTube stuff. And so FFS media is just me spewing <laughs> information. Everything Claire. It's just everything Claire. <laughs> yeah. It's, I have something to say and my husband is tired of hearing it. That's my business model. <laughs> She's been talking to her husband for just over a year now, right. constantly. Like, <laughs> He's getting really good at the Enneagram. Oh, I bet he is. I bet he is. That sounds like a three with a wing of a four. <laughs> he comes talking about calls and I'm like, oh, that sounds like a really unhealthy four you're dealing with on the call. And he's like, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> All right. Well, tell our listeners where they can find you. And yeah, I mean, FFS Media is the company. So if you look for um, my website is FFS.media, not .com, but nice. FFS.media. FFS.com was taken by some Russian and he wanted $1,200. And I was like, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, no so FFS.media. And I'm on um, Instagram, getting that started at and that handle is just ffs.media, same thing. And I think that's that's probably the best places to find me. You'll be able to find links to my YouTube channel, or you can go to ffs.media forward slash yt. <laughs> I like how you have all those memorized. Well, guys, we will put all of those links in the show notes. And I have to ask because we're kind of on this big uh, um, thing. Uh, are you on TikTok yet? <laughs> I'm, oh my gosh. I was on TikTok for a little while and I was like, Ooh, this is really fun. I need to get off this right now. Um, <laughs> this is really fun and this is not going to make me any money. <laughs> um, so no, I'm not on TikTok. I, I, I like it when people send me funny TikToks though. I think you're hilarious. I think that you would do really well. We just started like branching out and putting like our, our actual like author profiles on there and it but it is one of those things where it's like I'm gonna do some TikTok videos and then like 10 hours later you're still just like scroll I was like this is dangerous <laughs> yeah I mean I have my like my stupid stuff goes on my personal Instagram which is just at Claire or whatevs yeah uh, and that's just where I do stupid videos and that's <laughs> that's just a little something for me 
I like that. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much. It was for very me. enlightening. I will take any opportunity to <laughs> preach about Enneagram. So thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.